You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Theodicy. Hello my radio friends. I'm glad you've joined me today for another program to find out what the Bible has to say about another subject. This time on the subject of theodicy. This is probably a new word to many of you. Theodicy means the defense of God's goodness in the existence of evil. In simple terms, it's about what God is doing given the reality of evil in the world. This subject has been the subject of much philosophical speculation for centuries, and there are many differing opinions about it. But the Bible gives clear guidelines regarding theodicy and provides a firm platform on which we can base our beliefs and our world view. The book of Job in the Old Testament introduces us to this subject and enlightens us as to the realities of evil and suffering. The first two chapters not only reveal the realities relating to evil and suffering, but also what is God's part in all this. There are three personalities involved, God, Satan and Job. But we'll come back to that shortly. There are many people in the world who do not believe in God and who maintain that the world and all that's in it came into existence by itself. These people don't have a very plausible explanation as to why there is evil and why there is suffering. They say that it's all part of evolution and leave the matter there. But the Bible presents a cause, effect, and cure for the problem. So let's see what it says. The first few words of the Bible establish God's existence, and in the first chapter it establishes that God is a mighty being far superior to humans, and he created the world and all that was in it. Genesis 1.1 tells us, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And what was what he created like? A number of times in chapter 1 of Genesis this phrase is repeated, And God saw that it was good. So what God created was good, and so it should be. I can't imagine God creating anything that was faulty or second-rate. After all, God himself is perfect. Jesus gave that description of God as recorded in Matthew 5.48. He said, 
Be perfect, therefore, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. If you read the first two chapters of Genesis, you'll quickly come to the conclusion that what God made was very good. And in this newly created environment, life was happy, it was safe, and it was easy. There was no sin, no suffering. Everything that all living creatures, including the first people, Adam and Eve, needed, was provided. But interestingly, when God created mankind, he gave them something special that demonstrated what he, their loving creator, was like. He gave them free choice. So, is this such a big deal, you may ask? Yes, it is. You see, love cannot be expressed unless there is a choice. Where there is no choice, it is impossible to have love. You've probably heard about men who imprisoned young girls to be sex slaves. The girls had no choice. They were forced. The men who locked the girls up were the forces. There was no love, only passion. But, of course, force is not love. But Adam and Eve could choose to obey or disobey. God, in giving them that choice, expressed his great love. Of course, God hoped that they would reciprocate love for him and obey what he required. The Bible doesn't tell us for how long Adam and Eve lived happily in this paradisical existence, but things did change. And what brought about that change? It was an enemy, Satan. So, where did Satan come from? In Isaiah chapter 14, in Jeremiah 28 and Revelation 12, we find the answer to that question. Satan, once known as Lucifer, was a special angel in heaven. He too was a created being, living in an environment where there was complete happiness and no evil. But because of his beauty, he began to become proud of himself and thought he should be worshipped by the other angels in place of God. And that was the beginning of a rebellion against God. Lucifer began a campaign to win the other angels over to him. Now, what could God do? If he destroyed Lucifer, the other angels would be suspicious of God's love they would probably think they had to obey or they would be destroyed. If God did nothing, then it may have come about that Lucifer would have set up an alternative system of government in heaven and that would have meant utter chaos. Revelation 12 verses 9 and 10 tell what happened. 
It says that great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurtled to the earth and his angels with him. Hurled or kicked out, if you like, to where? The Bible says to earth. And if you read Genesis 3, you will see how Satan, disguised as a serpent, tricked Eve and Adam into disobeying God's commandments. And ever since that time, mankind has continued to disobey God and go against his will. Thus, humankind has suffered the consequences of disobedience, and Satan has been their master. How can that be? Simply this. You are the subject of whomever you obey. Or to put it another word, your master is the one you obey. But God has not left us to our own devices. He did not rinse us out of his mind. He did something so fantastic, so extraordinary, that it is mind-blowing. He gave his life in order to save ours. Instead, he could have ignored us. He could have destroyed us zapped us out of existence. But by zapping or ignoring all the other angels and all the beings in the universe would have a legitimate reason to doubt God's character. They would have thought that they had no other choice but to obey. But by God giving himself to save fallen mankind would prove that he indeed operated from love. Evil entered the world because Satan, the deceiver, the evil one, came. Satan has been responsible for all the evil and all the suffering ever since. Now, this brings us back to Job. Job was a good man. He was wealthy and had a large family, many servants, and owned a great many livestock. Today we would describe him as a rich, successful grazier. Life for Job was good. He honoured and obeyed God, and God blessed him. But Satan accused God of protecting Job and he accused Job of being faithful to God because God was blessing him. So did Job honour God because he loved him? Or was it a charade in order to get blessed? A test was arranged. Satan was given permission to remove all the material possessions that Job had. Satan expected Job would cease his fidelity to God and thereby deny him. And Job suffered tremendous losses in a very short time. 
he lost his ten children and all his livestock in the space of one single day. But the test backfired. Job never blamed God and never rejected him. So another test was arranged, but this time Job himself would be afflicted. He became covered in suppurating painful sores from head to toe. Despite all his suffering, discomfort and pain, and although Job never understood what was going on, through it all he remained faithful to God. Later, God again blessed Job, and he became even wealthier and had more children, so that the latter part of his life was even better than the early part. Scholars estimate that Job lived somewhere around 1,500 years B.C. The book of Job highlights in a very dramatic way that humankind has had to deal with evil and suffering. We're going to take a break and we'll come back straight afterwards. You may be someone, like Job, who has had to suffer and or have been dealing with evil that has affected your life. Is God to blame? Should God step in and make things right? Why does God allow evil to continue? If he is a God of love, why should we have to suffer? Will all this trouble that has plagued the world ever end? The Bible tells us that evil, sin, Satan and his agencies and those who commit their lives to sinning will finally be destroyed. 
Revelation chapter 20 verses 14 and 15 tells us that. The prophet John saw in vision what would happen, and he records this. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. And then, a few verses further on in chapter 21, John wrote, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne, that's God, said, I am making everything new. Yes, a time is coming when God will destroy the originator of all this trouble, the enemy, Satan. And God will destroy everyone and everything that Satan promoted. Then, also, God will create a new. He will make a new environment where, like in the beginning, our every need will be supplied and where there will be peace, happiness and harmony. And that is something to look forward to. Thousands, no, no, millions have been laid to rest with that hope in their hearts and minds. Though they, like Job, have had troubles and even lost their lives because of their faithfulness, they died in the hope and assurance that they would be resurrected and live at peace eternally. But why doesn't God do something now? You know, it's a curious thing, but to a certain extent God's hands are tied. All the angels in heaven and all the other beings in the universe are interested spectators as to what is going on in planet Earth. If God zaps those who disobey him, then the onlookers may well come to the conclusion that God is a tyrant and is not the God of love he claims to be. Then they would serve him out of fear. But on the other hand, as those onlookers see how God has acted righteously, and as they see the terrible effects of the rebellion, they will come to the conclusion that God has acted justly and out of love. Some people reason this way. They say, well, since God created us, he's to blame. He allowed Satan and sin to enter this world. Therefore, it's all his fault. So, is it God's fault that people who have the power of choice should choose to complicate their lives with drugs, alcohol, all kinds of evil practices, overeating, and so on? Isn't there enough evidence of God's existence 
And isn't there enough evidence of where sin leads? When you have the power of choice, and you exercise that choice by doing what leads to disastrous consequences, who is to blame? You, of course. It's all too easy to shrug off our own personal responsibility and try to blame someone else when things go wrong. I don't think I'd like to be God. I wouldn't like to have his responsibility. How does God have to deal with all the requests made of him? One person may be praying for rain so that their crops may grow. Another may be praying for fine weather so that their fate might be well attended. Whose prayer should be answered? Should God ignore some prayers and answer others? When Job was near the end of his suffering, things became clearer. He finally came to understand that it is impossible to measure God and his character and his motives and his actions by human standards. Job had been unaware that behind the scenes much bigger issues were being played out. There was, and still is to this very day, a great controversy between God and Satan, between good and evil. But that great controversy is nearing its end, and Satan and what he has affected will finally be destroyed, and God's character will be vindicated. Then there will be a new start, and sin will never, ever again enter the universe. Do you know, all of us are involved in this controversy. Will you choose to serve God and obey and trust him, although you cannot understand why certain things happen to you? Will you have the same attitude as Job, who announced, Though he, that's God, slays me, yet will I trust him. None of us knows the future, but God's word, the Bible, has given us enough information to know that a glorious, a fu a glorious future awaits us if we are faithful to our Maker. But are you willing to trust God with your life, to trust his word, and to trust his promises? All I can say is, I sincerely hope so. We must stop for today. Be sure to join me next time for another program in this series, Give Me the Bible. Until then, I wish you peace and faith, and hope, and trust. Music